Amen. It's a beautiful day today, and it's a beautiful day to be in the house of God. I'm really excited. We're going to be wrapping up a sermon series, a message we started three weeks ago already, titled The Value of One. Y'all say that with me, The Value of One. It's been a powerful message. Y'all been enjoying this message so far? Me too, it's been powerful. And as Pastor Jessica said, Easter, your Resurrection Sunday, is only two weeks away. It's just wild. You know, Easter is the pinnacle of the church. Without Easter, everything we teach and preach don't stand. And so we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. You better believe it. And so, but the Lord really just showed me this, this message, this sermon series has really been a primer for what God wants to do, I think, on Easter. I think he really wants us to prepare our hearts, to get ready, and to make room to do what God wants to do. I'm hoping and praying that this place is filled up, that the Arab's filled up. You know what? And I just don't want, I don't want this place filled up just for the sake of it being filled up. I want desperate, hungry, needy, come on somebody, people who are starving for truth. That's the people I want, hurting, broken people. And so I want to ask you guys again, I've done this every week, to join Pastor Keith. And Kelly and myself and Pastor Jessica and our church in prayer for signs, miracles, and wonders, salvations, transformations, prodigal sons coming home. We're going to talk all about the prodigal son today. Amen. For God to move in mighty way. And now I'm really believing and hoping and praying that, that he will. And I know he's going to. Amen. Can you all agree? He's going to move in a mighty way. And so as we, as we launched this message a few weeks ago, we, we, we've recognized that our world is lost. Can you agree on that? It's lost, it's hurting, it's broken. Everything apart from Christ is broken. And so as we see the world is hurting, broken, and lost, we have to see the value in every single person, every single soul. We don't have to save the world all at once. We just got to save the world one soul at a time, right? One family at a time, and I got to get out of the way and let God do his job, and I just got to do my job, right? God just calls me to have faith, to believe, and to pray, and minister hope when the Holy Spirit leads me. Sound good? Sound easy? And so we have to see the value in one. We have to be as obsessed with souls, come on somebody, as your father is. God's obsessed with souls, the church has to be obsessed with souls. We've got to be more obsessed with souls than we are with the, with the stuff, with the fancy things. We've got to be obsessed with the soul of the individual. Right? We want them to hear truth and to see truth, and we have to be moved in love. So let's open up. Who brought your Bibles today? If you brought, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We've been, in, we've been hanging out in Luke chapter 15 all three weeks. And if you didn't know, in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, he's preaching, he preaches three parables back to back to back. He starts, we, we read the first one in week one, the parable of the lost sheep, where it says he leaves the 99 for the one, right? The value of one. We read that in week one. If you missed any of these messages also, it'd be beneficial for you to get online and check them out. Or if it's your first time today, we're not going to get into a lot of recap. So it'd benefit you to, to do that if you want. And then last week, he rolls right in, into the parable of the lost sheep to the parable of the lost coin. And so we talked about the value of the lost coin where the woman, she has 10 coins and loses one. And she turns her house upside down and backwards, literally looking for the one. That's the type of faith the church needs. We need to be turning things upside down and backwards for his glory, for souls. 
And then he rolls right into the parable of the prodigal son, which most people will know and recognize. And we're actually going to read all of that today. So I don't want you guys to check out. It's about 20 verses. Okay, but I want you to read it with me and to really see God's word today. You know, this is a living word, the living word, right? And so let's look there at verse chapter 11. So we're going to talk about the prodigal son today. He's talking about the value of every soul, the value of one. Look at verse 11. It says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, excuse me, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted, say that with me, wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have good enough even have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Thank God for a moment of clarity, right? He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Get this. And while he was still a young way, long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Can I stop there for a moment and preach? I want you to know, no matter what, the Father is waiting for you. Amen. And if he's waiting for you, you better believe he's waiting for those that are out there lost. Wayward sons and daughters. There are people in Holly Pond this morning waking up with a hangover. There are people in our community that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. You're in church. He's thankful for the 99. I'm thankful that you come to church. But his heart grieves for the one who didn't choose right, who didn't do the right thing. And God doesn't judge them. He's moved in compassion. He's moved in compassion for the, for the grieving sons and daughters that are lost. Did you see what it said? It said, as his father was standing there, he saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. That Greek word compassion, you know what that means? It actually means to suffer with. To suffer with. As his son was out there, he had no idea where his son, where his son was. Did he love his son? Yes, but he, he, he was suffering with his son. His lost son. Compassion is what's going to enable us guys to see beyond the history of what has happened and, and beyond the hurts of what has happened. Could that father been upset? Yes. Could that father been hurt? He probably was hurt, but his compassion moved him beyond his feelings. Can I get an amen into a place of fatherhood? And our father, our heavenly father is holy and perfect. He sees beyond your history. He sees beyond how you've hurt others and how you've even hurt God. His, his heart, when you choose sin over him, it hurts his heart. And God is still moved in compassion. He's waiting. He's waiting for those to return. Amen. Look at verse 21. 
So it says, his son said to his father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. That sounds like a repentant response, a true repentant response. He's sorry. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is. Amen. Has that been anybody in the house or watching this online? I was lost, but praise God, I am now found. He says, so then the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? He says, your brother's back, he, he told him, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Sounds and looks like jealousy. Jealousy will kill you, you know that? His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's been found. Can I get an amen? He was lost, but now he is found. The Father is always waiting. And as Jesus is preaching these back-to-back-to-back parables that we've read complete now in the last three weeks, this all started in verse 1 and 2 as a response to what the Pharisees thought about him and were saying about him, about the company he was keeping. So church, this is what I want you to hear today. This message is powerful. This parable is powerful. There's, there's so many layers to it. But Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees. So church, don't become a Pharisee. Don't forget where God has brought you. Because Jesus, as he's teaching and preaching this, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees. Guess who the Pharisees are? They're the older brother. And they don't even see it or know it or recognize it. Jesus is telling them that I came. He's saying, I love you and you're my sons too. I'm thankful that you stayed faithful, but I didn't come back just for you. I came for the ones that are lost and it should grieve your heart. And so as we get ready to celebrate Easter, I hope and pray that you are excited that lost people are going to come through the doors of our church. Amen. Hurting people are going to come through the doors of our church. Amen. So look at that point today, that first point. Look what it says. So in this parable, Jesus describes lost people as lost prodigal sons and daughters. Okay, I'm including women too. I know uh, we live in a crazy world, right? So sons, prodigal sons and daughters, right? Y'all are included also, of course. In each parable, he reinforces the idea that one soul, one life, literally every person matters to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us. Because you matter. Because you were probably a prodigal son and daughter at one point in time, they matter. Tell your neighbor, we've done this every week, why don't you tell them again, tell them, you matter. 
you matter. Because you matter, they matter. The favor of God is available to each and every single person, no matter race, sex, creed, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you doubt God, if you believe in God. The favor of Christ is for everyone. We said that if we are God seekers, if we're relationship with God, if I seek God in my day-to-day life, then I have to be a people finder. I got to be as obsessed with souls as my king is, as my heavenly father is, as my savior is. I have to see that there's inherent value in every single person, no matter what their life currently looks like, no matter what their situation currently looks like. We need to be quick to forgive and quick to give grace over all the other responses that you and I get to choose every single day. We should not be treating these people the way the world treats them. They are going to come to church looking for something different, right? The world will chew you up and spit you out and then laugh at you. And so we have to be, God has entrusted his church to care for these types of people. We have to treat them and handle them with care because they're in a fragile state, spiritually, physically, mentally, We have to handle them, build them up, dust them off, and begin to deposit the truth of God, deposit the word of God into those so that they can go from being lost to being found. Praise God. So that they can go from being lost to being found. Look at that next point. So prodigals aren't necessarily evil, but they are rebellious and they are lost. The prodigal son represents a person who has known the love of the father and has wasted their substance. I would go ahead and add blessing. Substance, their their slash blessing in rebellious living. So this parable is a little different than the last two parables that we've read in the last couple weeks. Because we said in the first parable, the lost sheep, he doesn't necessarily know is lost. The sheep is not even necessarily evil. It has just wandered off. And if we can see that there are people that aren't necessarily doing evil, they're not they're not participating necessarily even evil. They're just lost. That calls us to a greater standard of grace, right? We see that they're just lost. And so, and then last week as we talked about the parable of the lost coin, does a coin have a choice? No, right? Its, it's destination is directly determined by the decision of others, right? And so if there are people that are just as lost as a lost coin or just as lost as a lost sheep, it brings us to a place of grace. And this parable that we've read today, it's different because the son had a choice. Y'all say that with me. Choice, right? And that choice that he made, and the same choice that many millions make every single day, is not just to reject God, but to make my choices rooted in rebellion. Rebellion and pride is what led the prodigal son astray. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, rebellion. Did he learn his lesson? Yes, he did. Praise God, he learned his lesson. Praise God, I was a prodigal son. I learned, excuse me, my, my lesson. I had to do it the hard way. And I shared last week, I'm thankful that I'm a prodigal son, but there's a lot of prodigal sons that don't make it. They die. They overdose. They kill themselves before they accept Christ. So we have to be extra motivated in love and compassion as we see and recognize these types of people, right? Because that point, it says prodigals aren't necessarily evil, but they are rebellious and they are lost. 
It says a prodigal son represents a, a person who has known the love of the father and has wasted their substance, their blessing, on rebellious living. No matter what you've wasted, God is still waiting. That was for free. I'll say that again. No matter what you have wasted, God is still waiting. Just like that father we read about in the parable today. Your heavenly father is waiting. You're stuck in all the, all the regret. You're stuck in all the decisions, that, the bad decisions that you made. You're stuck in seeing all the time that was wasted, all the years that were wasted. You think that you've wasted your faith, your talents. Maybe you've wasted a lot of bad decisions on the things we're talking about, jealousy and pride and the lust of the flesh and the desire of, of, of earthly things. And you've gone and wrote a check, checklist out of all these things I've, I've wasted. I want you to know there's hope in what you've wasted God is still waiting, and he can still redeem the bad decisions. He can still redeem your history. He can still redeem the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups. I'm thankful that in all the things I wasted over the years, God was waiting. I didn't choose Christ till I was about 25 or 26 years old. I, I, I look back at my life and wonder sometimes, you know, all that wasted time. What if I would have been, what if I would have been a Christian in high school or, or middle school? You, you know, and you can't live in that place because hallelujah, it all ended up working out for his good. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So even in the wasted years of my life, even in the wasted bad decisions as I got addicted to drugs and to alcohol and as I hurt people, and lied to people, and did evil things that I'm glad only God and me know about. In the wasted, he was still waiting. And when I finally said yes, his response wasn't, why? Why did you do that? I told you not to do that. His response was, what took you so long? What took you so long? As I read this story of the prodigal son, which I come across quite a bit in my quiet time, I can't help but think how similar the story of his life is to mine. When I, me and my brother lost our father, out of, really out of the blue, in 2009 I was in the Navy. And when he died, really sporadically, both of us got an inheritance about $50,000. And I didn't have Jesus in my life, and my dad was a good dad. My parents were divorced, but my dad was a good dad. And that was the first death I ever had to deal with in my life. Blessed to make it to 25, 26 years of my life, never have to deal with the death. And I was already an alcoholic. I said was, because I'm not no more. But after him passing and getting that inheritance and my addiction, you better believe the devil saw an opportunity. And would you believe, and about two months later, I was kicked out of the Navy. And about another two months later, all that money was gone. Your pastor wasted that thing that was intended to be a blessing because I was spiritually sick. I was spiritually Lost, and I wasted that blessing, that substance on wild living. 
drugs, alcohol, strip clubs. Yes, your pastor was in strip clubs. And I had nothing to show for it. And you better believe I was about on my deathbed, worried about all the things I had done, all the things I had wasted. But praise God, can I get an amen? Jesus came in to my life and picked me up and transformed my life. And guess what? I don't go back to those, those thoughts or those things other than when I'm teaching and preaching for something that can impart hope and faith for somebody. Because, because God delivered me of those things, guess what? I don't go back to those things. This is a free word for somebody. If God has delivered you from some stuff, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex addiction, strip clubs, I don't know, you fill in the blank. If he's delivered you, don't go back. Right? Do not go back. Because I was blind, now I see. I act that way because I was lost, but now I'm found. Can I get an amen? Look at Isaiah 53, 6. This is a reminder. As we took communion today, it's always a, a fresh reminder that apart from Christ, none of us are good. Look what it says. It says, all, so y'all say that word with me, all, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. What a true statement. Even before we came to Christ, we thought our paths were the right one. And even when we get born again, that's not something that totally goes away. We recognize now we see God's path, but I still have a choice to make every day. And just because I prayed to accept Christ, guess what? It's still pretty hard a lot of times to do God's way and to do what God says and to speak and say what God says to say. And I have a choice. It says every single one of us all, like sheep, have strayed away. We've all left God's path to follow our own. We've all fallen short, and Jesus is the only one that can bring us back. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so even though we've all strayed, God still chose you. Even though he knew you'd still reject him, he still chose you. He still laid his life down so that you could have that moment of clarity that says, what I'm doing is wrong. The decisions I'm making are wrong. I, I need God in my life. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And if we've experienced that miraculous grace, how much more do we need to communicate that to the lost world? Because God did that for you. He can do it for them. I'm not special. God did that for Ian, and he wants to do it for others. And your life's entirely different than any other person on the planet, but there's a lot of similarities in your story. The things you struggle with, somebody else is struggling with. Yeah. How you grew up is probably a, a very similar to a lot of the way other people grew up. And if you came to Christ and you know the biggest blessing of what that means, relationship with God through his son, God wants to use you to be an instrument of righteousness. All right, look at that next point. So our world and churches are filled with prodigal sons and daughters who have chosen their path, their way, over God's path. The Lord was kind of showing me this week as I was studying and praying. Our world's full of prodigal sons and daughters. I know y'all understand that. I don't need to argue that point or talk you into that. There's tons of lost people that God uh, heart grieves for and that he wants to invite into the kingdom of God. But think of this. Our church 
not just our church, the church, is also filled with prodigal sons and daughters that have come to know Jesus but have backslidden and become lukewarm. So the Lord was just challenging me. We have prodigal sons and daughters that are literally lost, but we even have prodigal sons and daughters that come to church every Sunday. Do you know that coming to church is not your salvation? You can come to church every single week and be as lost, as lost, as lost can be. And so I think the Lord really wants to challenge us and invite the Holy Spirit to really take a self-examination and, and, and in deep prayer. And I hope you do this every single day and, and just ask God, God, where am I really? Really, where am I, God? Are we on good terms? Do I have... Do I have hidden sin? Do I, have I talked myself into a lie? Have I talked myself off of your path onto my own path? Do I have things that, that I'm hiding or dealing with that nobody else knows? God, uh, 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 am I part of that 99? God's, God will go for the one, but I want to be part of the 99. <laughs> right? I want to be, if God's redeemed me, we need to be that older brother that stayed home and did all the right things. Now, his response was wrong. Somebody say wrong. His response was wrong, but he did all the right things. So are you doing all the right things? And if you can do all the right things and still have a compassionate heart and a thankful heart, then you'll respond in the right way. And we'll love others and we'll help others instead of judging others. And we'll build others up. Right? So maybe write this down. Write this question down if you're taking notes. God, have I backslid? These are honest questions. God, am I lukewarm? Do I pray every day? Do I read my Bible every day? How am I really? A am I really doing good? Am I really not doing good? Look at James 4.17. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. In the Old Testament, sin was anything against the law. But Christ came to set us free from the things the law could not do, the Bible says. And grace is great. Anybody love the grace of God? But his grace actually elevates the bar on you and me. And it elevates the bar on our everyday decision and choices. And so sin now, since Jesus came, now he's, uh, he's, he's well and able to forgive you. But sin is simply what we just read. It's to know what you ought to do uh, and do it or what you ought to know not to do and not do it. Sin is basically, in a nutshell, choosing your path over God's path. It's that simple. And isn't it crazy how we can talk ourselves into doing all sorts of crazy stuff? Well, you know, this ain't maybe ain't technically sin, God. So I'm going to watch this show. It's, 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 I really like this show. It just, if I can check out. But, you know, there's really nothing good in it at all. There's sex and, and cussing. and Is that or is that not sin? Is debatable and you can talk to yourself. But if the Holy Spirit has already identified in your heart that when you watch that, there's a check, then to him or her, it is sin. There are people, believers, Christians, that can drink alcohol and not sin. I'm not one of them. And if you are a leader in this church, you're not one either. Because I said so. And I said so because Pastor Keith says so. 
He's El Presidente. <laughs> Don't entertain those thoughts. Don't entertain those thoughts. God set you free. Stay free. Say it with me. Stay free. Stay free. Stay free. If God set you free, stay free. All right, look at the next point. So in each parable, it's kind of cool, get this, right? So in the first parable we read in week one, the shepherd, he goes, he leaves the 99 for the one. He, he's actively searching, finding, pursuing, right? And even last week, the woman, she, she, she searches, she's actively pursuing, looking for the lost coin. But in this parable, it's a little different, right? Because the father waits, interceding for the prodigals to come home. Jesus has to be our standard, and Jesus is always praying, interceding for you and for me in the lost world. Did you know that? Jesus loves the prodigal son, and he models intercessory prayer for us. No matter, we said, no matter what you've wasted, God is waiting. So no matter what they've wasted, right, God is still waiting. But, somebody say but, if God is still waiting, and, and he's praying and interceding, why can't you and I, who've been set free, who were lost, who are now found, why can't we go to prayer and battle for them? We said last week that prayer is like a weapon. We handle their soul gently because they're fragile, but we pray for them fervently. When I think of a weapon, I think of violence. And sometimes I pray violently for my family and for my kids and Declare what the enemy is trying to do and against the schemes of the enemy. And I declare and I prophesy. And God calls us to pray outside of ourselves and our families. If you are all you pray about and your family is all you pray about, there's something wrong. I hope and pray that you pray for the lost, dying, sick world. We said last week the best thing that you can do for your kids is to pray for the lost world because the lost world is raising them. The lost world is raising them. So the best thing you can do for, is praying for the lost. So we pray and don't stop there. Prayer is always the starting place. We also go. Just like the shepherd who leaves the 99 and the woman who lost her coin, we go and we pray. We do both. We go out of our comfort zones to minister the gospel and we pray. Why do we do both? Because Jesus did both. He prayed. Can you agree? Did he go? Can we agree? He prayed and he went. So don't just stop at prayer. And hey, we can flip it around. Some people are great at going, but they don't pray. So we need to do both. We need to go and we need to pray for the lost, dying world. And don't let resistance, rejection, and the unexpected stop you. If you begin to do things in faith for the kingdom of God, you are going to experience resistance. And how bad do you love them? How bad do you love God's plan? How, how bad do you love God's path? Because you always have a choice. You might say, this is really hard. You might invite somebody to church and they might cuss at you. And you might say things like, man, was that really worth it? Or man... What, what, what's really going on here? And you're going to experience those things and don't give up. Why do I say don't give up? Because Jesus didn't give up. And if the same spirit that compelled and moved Jesus lives in us, I said the same spirit, 
You know, it's the same spirit, the Holy One, the Holy Ghost that lived and moved in Jesus. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, lives, breathes, and moves in you, what can't we accomplish? I love that, Teresa. Nothing. There's nothing you can't accomplish. Right? God makes the impossible possible. Look at Hebrews 7, 24 through 25. It says, but, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of God, as it says in Revelations. And as we just read in Hebrews 7, it says that he is interceding, praying for those. Praying for his children. So when you experience resistance, and it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. We can draw up these playbooks and I'm, I love you, God. I'm following God. It's going to just turn out just like this, right? And it doesn't turn out anything like that. You can rest and reside in the fact that you're doing what God called you to do. And Jesus himself is not just praying for you, but praying for them. And I don't know about you, but that moves me in faith. Because he's the Son of God, the perfect Messiah, the Savior. And if I can get out of the way, do what he's called me to do and let God do God's job. And if I've done it, then I, then I can, by faith, lay it down at his feet and know that he is still working. Right? Still working, praying, moving. Look at that last point for today. So we pursue prodigals through prayer. We stand in the gap interceding on their behalf crying out for mercy. If we can have the faith to pray, God will listen. If you can take the time to have the faith to pray, God will listen. He's listening. But we have to take the time. I said last week also, what if your prayer life has the ability to change someone else's life? How powerful. You may say, well, what if I pray and nothing happens? Yeah, but what if it does? You're going to have to pray longer than a day. You're going to have to pray longer than a week. Maybe longer than a year. I know I shared last week, my mom prayed for me for years. I know I kept her up so many sleepless nights. Her probably worrying and waiting and wondering where her son was, if was he even alive. And I bet she's real thankful that she can rest easy now. Knowing that I'm safe. And I'm living for God. So don't give up when you experience resistance. We gave out a prayer card every single week. If you got your card, wait it at me. If you brought it from last week, I hope you did. Who did not get a card? Raise your hand up real high. We'll get you one. Where is Mr. Corey? Can somebody get Corey for me? I told him to be on standby. Uh, Jonathan, can you get him for me? Tell him we need a couple cards. And so, as we kick this off, we asked you to commit, it was 30 days then, now we're at 14 days, guys, to identify at least one, up to three people, to begin praying and warring for, up in, from, from now until Easter. So these were our scriptures on the front, James 5.16, to be praying. We even gave you the scriptures to pray. Romans 14 through 15. If you flip it over on the back, there's the, there's the space there available for you to write down up to three names. And so uh, I think Miss Gina needed one. Thank you, sir. And uh, Miss Tanya needs one also. 
And so who has been using these? I hope that's not all. Just one hand. Have you guys been using these? Praise God, I hope so. You are literally the only three hands that raise their hands. I hope you're taking this serious. Because if you can by faith begin to pray for these names, God can begin to transform their hearts. Right? So we invited you and challenged you guys to invite, to, to join us in prayer for these names. And then we said the week of Easter, anytime that last week, Passion Week, Holy Week, to invite all the names you wrote down to church that Sunday. And so next Sunday, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're actually going to have a prayer service. It's going to be a special time of prayer and worship. There'll be a little bit of preaching, but I'm not going to be up here preaching like a normal message. There's, there's going to be open, this altar is going to be open. We're going to have prayer, and there's going to be a moment where we're going to bring our cards up on the altar, the names we've been praying for, and we're going to lay them up here, and we're going to release them to God. Amen? Does that sound good? It's going to be powerful next week. You're not going to want to miss it. You're going to want to be here. So don't lose these cards, okay? And bring these cards back with you to church next week because we're going to use them in and through that prayer service. Amen? I added a couple scriptures that are not on your guys' outlines or on the TVs for today. As I was praying, the Lord just changed it. So we're talking about prayer and mercy. God calls us to stand in the gap, to pray, and to give mercy. And so who knows what Jeremiah 29.11 says? Right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope in those days when you pray, it says. I'll listen. Now, is that an awesome hope for you and for me? Right? That's a promise directly to you and to me, but it doesn't stop there. That promise is directly for these three names. The difference is they may not know it. You know the promise. You know the difference Jesus makes. You know the difference is hope can do and transformative in your life. And so, because they don't know, God's calling you to pray that for them. To stand in the gap in, in, in prayer and minister uh, grace and mercy. We stand in the gap when we pray and we declare mercy. And I wanted to add Matthew 5, 17. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It's the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If we've experienced mercy, I have to give it. If you've experienced his goodness, you have to give it. If you've experienced his forgiveness, you have to give it. It's got to be our desire that the lost experience his mercy. Where the world would say, you know what, they got what they deserve. You know what, judge them. They done missed it. They done messed up. We can't think and operate that way. Our response has to be mercy, God. Mercy because, God, I deserved death. God, I deserved jail. God, I don't deserve the life that I now live because of the freedom in Christ. God, give them mercy, even though they're living in a pigsty. When you live in a pigsty, you may look like a pig. You may even smell like a pig. I mean that spiritually. Pigsties stink. If you're wrapped in addiction, your life is going to stink. Your, your home is probably going to be a mess. It's going to stink. And, and we can look and say, well, maybe they got what they deserve, but God desires us to pray mercy. Mercy for that moment from when they're literally transformed, transplanted from lost to found, from blind to sight in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to lead us on in prayer as we close. Let's do that together. If you got your card and you already put those names on there, I want you to pull it out and look at it.
look at those names. I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for those names this week also. But Lord, I want to lead us in our prayers. We're talking about the lost world. As we look at our cards and these names, I, I don't know all the names on these cards. I don't know all these people on these cards, but I know that you do. God, and so we declare mercy. We declare mercy. And we declare a moment of clarity, a Holy Spirit moment. God, will you will transform their hearts, transform their minds, where they begin to see the sin that they commit as evil, where they begin to see the sin that they commit as hurtful, and that you would literally turn them from their sin to you. Turn them off of their path onto your path. God, I pray as we submit these cards and these names and these prayers to you, as we get ready to invite them to church on Passion Week, that you would give us the confidence, the boldness, and the words to say as we invite them in love. And even if they say no, we will not stop believing and praying for them. But I declare that they'll say yes in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Last thing I want to do is if you're here today, as we've been talking or preaching about the prodigal son, maybe you're watching this online or in our sanctuary, and you maybe had that thought or a statement resonated in your spirit that says, Pastor Ian, I am that person. I'm that lost sheep. I'm that lost coin. I'm that lost son. And I need help. I want to invite God into my life. I want to stop living the way I'm living, and I want to start living the way God says to live. If you're here today, I want you to do something for me. No one's looking at you. We're actually praying for you right now. What I want you to do is to stand up right now in the sanctuary. Physically stand up, up out of your chair and say, hey, I want to make that prayer. I want to make that decision. If God is speaking and dealing with your heart, he went to a cross to die for you, the least you can do is stand for him. And I'll give you a few moments to do that. If you are joining us online and you want to make that decision, put it in the chat for us and say, hey, I'm praying this prayer. I want to change my life. Let us know so we can pray for you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I want to lead us all in a prayer. I want you to repeat after me. It's going to go like this. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father Lord, we love you. And we thank you. We accept your son, Jesus. And we believe in him. We believe that he died on the cross. And rose again on the third day. For my forgiveness. Confess that he is Lord of my life. Forgive me of my past and sins. And send your Holy Spirit. To lead and guide my life. So you call me home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. We're so glad you guys came, okay, doing church with us. Y'all don't lose those cards. Bring them back with you to church next week. Y'all are officially dismissed. All right, have a good, safe Sunday. We love you, and we hope to see you.